come, have lots of good things, lots to eat, and enjoy just a time of fellowship. So put that on your calendar and plan for it if you're going to be around. All right, well, let's welcome up Stephen, our pastor. He's going to tell us a couple other things. Appreciate it, Fred. Thank you. All right. Well, this is uh, the last day of the three-week international fast, uh, praying for Israel, the Jews, and Jerusalem. And so we want to pray for a ministry that's, that we're close with, friends with there in Haifa, Ema's Goodies, but also want to read a verse here as well, and, uh, and then we'll pray together and pray over the offering uh, this morning. So Isaiah, Isaiah 62, that fast in prayer is what they call this, and there's a scripture here that says in verse 6 and 7, on your walls, O Jerusalem... I have appointed watchmen. And of course, in that day, uh, walls were part of the fortress of, this, of every town and village to protect them. And so that would have been uh, to, in a, in a very real physical way, to protect uh, from military attack, etc., from the enemy. Today, this is applied to people praying for uh, Israel, the Jews, and Jerusalem. So on your walls of Jerusalem, I have appointed watchmen. Uh, those to pray all day and all night, they will never keep silent. You who remind the Lord, take no rest for yourselves and give him no rest until he establishes and makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. So this is something that God is doing in the earth. He is establishing Jerusalem again. Now Israel's the nation again. Jesus is going to come back to Jerusalem. And so this is his end time work. And I believe this is something God is doing in the earth where he's gathering people to pray from every nation, from every family of God and body of Christ, from every language and every time zone to pray day and night for God to protect the Jews, for God's will to be done, and that they would meet their Messiah, that the blinders would come off and they would see the true Messiah, Jesus Christ, and come to him. And so let's do that in our prayers today, praying for Renee in Gidon Shmuel. Renee is someone in, in Gidon we've gotten to know in our many trips to Israel. She has this ministry of blessing, spreading the love of God to soldiers at post and base camps and things all around the nation. They're scattered everywhere, these little outposts and things. And she has these special uh, connections to get into these bases and to give them Mommy, Ema's is, is, means mommies, you know, mommy's goodies and cookies and cupcakes. And we, as a, as a group from Kentucky, when we went last month, we brought with us uh, a, a American chocolate candy bars, which they don't get, but they love. And, and so we gave her, you know, a trunk uh, full of these bags of American candy bars uh, for her to, to share with those who live uh, under... Uh, the constant threat of, of, of battle every day who, who fight that. Let us pray. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, it's a privilege uh, to give in tithes and offerings today. It's our way of trusting you with our action that we give to you uh, tithes and offerings. And Lord, we are praying uh, if for the nations today, particularly Israel, that, Lord, you are gathering a prayer army uh, to be 
uh, all across the nation in every time zone, people praying for the end time work of God in Israel and that the Jews would see you who, for who you truly are and be saved. And so, Lord, it's an honor to be a part of this prayer army. We just pray you grow this. We pray, Lord God, also uh, for uh, Ema's Goody's ministry, that you protect Renee as she travels uh, up and down uh, the nation of Israel and in and out of, of these bases. We pray that you provide for her, her family, her ministry abundantly. And, Lord God, that they would see you, Jesus, in her actions, in her love, and the way she spreads your love, Lord God, may, may they see you, Lord God, and call out to you uh, uh, for relationship and for salvation. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. And for a little clarification, the uh, ministry of praying monthly as a church is continuing on as this coming Friday is the first Friday of the month. And so they'll be meeting here in the uh, the prayer building this this uh, Friday at is it four thirty, four thirty, and so that ministry is still going on and and want to encourage you uh, to try that out if you haven't before and be a part of that. I have a praise uh, that uh, we want to just rejoice in and give thanks uh, to God about, and um, and and it's about what's happening. Uh, in our region regarding the overturning of Roe versus, Roe versus Wade last year. But the uh, one of the main of two uh, abortion clinics in Louisville uh, has been uh, shut down, and that building is up for sale. <laughs> EMW Women's Surgical Center was one of the... the the uh, most common places to get abortion in downtown uh, Louisville, Planned Parenthood, is just a few blocks away, still open. I heard Planned Parenthood, at least in their, uh, at least in their headquarters, is having a 20% layoff uh, in their offices. And um, uh, they are, their main efforts is on the Internet now, getting the abortion pill out. And, and you can get it anywhere, you know, just online, you just have them ordered to you. So... They are still, uh, you know, just going full speed ahead with abortion. And, uh, but this is exciting to see that a building where unborn little babies' life was taken away under the name of a surgical center uh, is now closed. And this does open the door for us to express the love of the Father to hurting women who are confused, because they're still confused, who are still being pressured and pushed with panic and fear, either from the enemy or sometimes parents, friends, boyfriends, whoever, girlfriends, to have an abortion. And so there is still the open door for us to have our arms open wide to any of those who are considering this. And, um, uh, and, and then those who have gone through this, that we extend this love and mercy uh, of the Lord that endures forever on each woman that, and, and man that knows the, the, uh, the pain of going through an abortion. And so we are, and I want to say praise God, starting something right now. Uh, we've heard of mention before that ALC, a loving choice pregnancy center, Shelbyville, uh, their director, Erica Price, has said, listen, if, if I have 
a, a woman or a person that wants to visit a church, would you welcome them? Would you help them uh, meet them at the door? Would you connect with them? And we said yes to that. Kayla Watkins is going to head up that team. And through these all-in groups that we've been having, that's one of the six opportunities, and there's more than six. You kind of develop ways to uh, connect and relate and uh, make disciples. So there's been four ladies who said they're interested in this. Perhaps there'll be a few more. And so Kayla, next Sunday after church, is going to have an informational meeting for you to get more information about that in the gathering place uh, next Sunday afternoon. So praise God, there's new open doors for us, and we're going to say yes and be ready uh, for those women who want a church family connection. Let's just give praise to God on that. And... uh, the Lord's opening doors for us to make disciples. This has really been an exciting time just getting started in this Life of David series, A Man After God's Own Heart. And I've gotten a number of people uh, here in the church just hearing the title. They're going, oh, I can't wait for this. This is going to be great. And, uh, and it is. And this is part two uh, entitled From Pasture to Palace. And this is the origin story of this incredible uh, figure, this historical figure, David, who became their Israel's greatest king in all of its history, who was an incredible musician, would even create stringed instruments like guitars uh, for his worship, for his, he was a poet in the songs and poems that he wrote that are in the book of Psalms. Uh, He was a warrior and was a leader of mighty men of battle. This is his origin story. We haven't heard his name yet until this chapter, 1 Samuel 16. And I'm going to actually read through uh, half of this chapter, verses 1 through 13. Uh, I'm not going to have it on the screen. You can just listen You can open your Bible and follow along there. I'm doing the New King James Version. And I just want you to listen and kind of grasp the the depth of life lessons for all of us in this origin story, this first encounter that the Word of God gives us regarding David. So here we go. A little bit of background if you weren't here last Sunday. Samuel, he's a prophet. Um, yeah, you just, just, we're not doing the scriptures on this, okay, Dave? I'm just going to read, the, read it, uh, the whole passage. Samuel is a prophet. He is the most powerful prophet perhaps since Moses that has been in Israel. He is revered as accurate every time in what he says, and he can even bring... Uh, uh, you know, judgment to a town or a family who's in sin and disobeying God with his very words. And so he's very revered, and this is who we're uh, hearing about is this prophet Samuel is coming to the small town of Bethlehem. And what has just happened uh, just days before this is King Saul, the first king of Israel, has... Uh, again, just decided to do things his own way, to not follow the words of the prophet. And he's been 
uh, judge that he will not remain king and his family line won't, won't bring in the next kings. And so here we are. This is where we are now. Verse 1 of 1 Samuel 16. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I named to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical statue, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Thus Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel, and Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest, and there he is, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good-looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Oh God, thank you for this story in your word. This is your holy word. This is inspired by your Holy Spirit. So we believe that you are going to have some piece of it is going to stick with us and it's something that you want us to hear and apply to our lives this week. Amen. Well, Saul, King Saul had a good start. He was humble. He was chosen by the Spirit of God. He prophesied among a group of prophets and was, had, uh, they thought, boy, does he have uh, prophetic gifts like the rest of the prophets? He had this powerful ex- spiritual experience before he started as king. But humility was lost, and he ended up doing things his way instead of God's way. He lied to the Samuel the prophet to cover up his compromise. He blamed others to cover up his compromise and disobedience. He was unteachable with his spiritual leader, and God removed him as king. Now, it didn't happen right then. In fact, it would be many years later uh, that he would die in battle, and he would no longer be king. We don't know how many weeks and months happened after this event with between Samuel and Saul, but we hear this statement coming out of the first verse of this chapter. Let's look at that first verse again. It's the Lord talking to Samuel. Samuel is, is uh, 
you know, curled up on his couch or lay down in his lazy boy. I've grown to love the old lazy boy in our basement. So I'm one of you if you're like that. And he is just becoming a couch potato sitting in his mourning. And the Lord says to Saul, how long will you mourn for Saul? Seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. The Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And so there is a period of mourning that's understandable for all of us. It's, a, it's something that God gives us uh, to restore our souls. And, and great losses in our life happen, and they change us, and we're never the same. And yet, even though it says in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn. For they shall be comforted. It's a design of the human being to be able to be comforted, particularly from our creator God and the loved ones around us. That yet there is a, it's a, it has a time frame to it. Uh, when Moses died, it said the whole nation mourned for 30 days. That was intense mourning for everybody. Everybody, you get permission to mourn. And then that was for them time to move on. Every, situation is different. There's no magic to 30 days. But I'm just telling you that God had to wake up Samuel. What are you doing? Get up out of the, off the couch, out of the lazy boy and go. And so I ask you and me this same question. How long do we mourn for what God has already rejected in our life? That is a great question. Not just for Samuel. Is there something that is, pulls us away from God and distracts us? Is there something that is, uh, that has been a, you know, something, a sin we've dealt for a long time or we're not dealing with it seriously at this time? And God has already said, listen, I don't want this in your life. And, and as you said yes to Him or as you were trying to break away, you're mourning over it, you're grieving over the past. And He said, no, no, no. It could be something, a disappointing relationship that was painful. It could be something at work that just uh, went south and didn't go well and you've lost trust with coworkers, a project failed, whatever it is. So let's look at this some more and see what happens. Because in the next few verses, what we have is, is that Samuel goes to this city, this small town, and the people are, again, wondering, do you come in peace or not? And he says, I come in peace. And so we need to picture what's happening in this village. Once they hear that the prophet Samuel, I mean, this is the most powerful man in the nation. He's like uh, uh, the president and the general of the nation with all the power of, you know, strength and power behind him, this is a, a scary moment for this village if he doesn't come in peace. And what are they doing? They're scurrying to clean up the house and the village and get it clean. They're, he's coming. He's going to be here this afternoon. They're, uh, all of Jesse's uh, eight sons are getting their best clothes, their Sunday clothes together, and they're ironing them, and they're fighting over. They're having to go to Uncle Joe's uh, closet uh, down the street because they don't have enough nice clothes because they grow out of them so fast, all these boys, and there's these arguments that's going on. And, uh, you know, 
Uh, and, and here you see this scurrying going around. It's kind of like um, sometimes our families, and I can remember having little children going to church, and it's like, why is Sunday morning the worst morning of the week? And they're bickering and fighting and the yelling, and we're all yelling in the car, and we open the door and go, oh, good morning, everybody. It's like the enemy is attacking, particularly at certain times, and that's is happening in this family. And I can imagine the eight brothers of, of Jesse's family, and they're fighting on what to wear, and, and who's going to take care of the sheep while Samuel is here? And so there is this argument and this fight, and surely the brothers aren't going to, uh, you know, they're going to just push it down to the youngest, David, and there's a Ben David's whining, and he's yelling and screaming, and, and, and finally the dad, I'm imagining, it says, okay, well, all right, yeah, David, you're, and he, David loses the battle, and he's going to be out of this incredible day, the best day of the year. The, this is better than Christmas. Samuel is coming to town, and he is even requesting uh, Jesse's family to be there. So I want us to see this scurrying that's going on, and Samuel is showing up, and I want to answer this question. Well, how did Samuel, how long did he mourn? Well, the response to that is when he obeyed and got up and went the next step. Because it says in verse 4 of, of this chapter, he said, Samuel did what the Lord said, and he went to Bethlehem. That's all he knew. He didn't know what he was going to exactly do in Bethlehem. He, didn't know. he said, I'll tell you more later. Let this be a great uh, uh, key to us. Well, what do I do? If I'm just stuck, if I'm just in this place of, of kind of grieving and just getting down and, and, and just more in the doldrums, listen, what does God want me to do next? What is it? I'm just going to go do that. It can be a small step. Go somewhere in his name. You take obedience to what God said last, and that'll get you going in the right direction. Now, there's a couple of statements here that... Uh, you, you might miss them. I know I did in for years, but looking at this passage, uh, doing some research, there's something different about the way God is approaching the second king. The first king, it was like he and Samuel, like, listen, just do whatever the people want. They want a king. We're not going to fight them on this. Just do what they want. But there's a couple of phrases that says God went a different route this time. And there's a phrase in verse 1 that says, uh, God is saying, for I have provided myself a king. And then again, uh, in verse 3, it says, you shall anoint for me the one I name to you. You shall anoint for me. Here's lesson number one I want to bring out of these, uh, this passage, many more than a few lessons. Let me tell you, you, you just meditate on this, and I hope you're reading the chapters in advance, that we are created for him and for his kingdom. It is about him. It is not about us, folks. He has created you for a reason, 
And this king, now God is saying, I'm doing this. It's not for the people. This king is for me. And he's going to be set aside in what he's doing and what his role it is for me. It's all about him and his kingdom. He's created us with a design. He has a purpose for this phase of your life. Uh, as Fred said uh, just a moment ago, we went as a uh, mindset of church leaders going to learn about discipleship ministry. And instead, what they did is for a day and a half, uh, these leaders were talking to us about healthy spirituality for the leader to watch these trappings as a leader of distraction and business. Watch this, your priorities. What, what about the Sabbath in your life? What about listening to God, sitting before him, being silent before him? And for a day and a half, they worked on us. And so we were refreshed. God has a purpose for our lives at this time. It's not about me. It's about you, God. So many times we bring to God our many needs that we have. And we have them. They're real needs. And that's all we ever focus on. But remember, it is God says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things that aren't bad, things that we do need. All these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So you trust God for the things and needs in your life and keep him first. This king, Jesus, who we serve, he is a good and loving king. So as you serve him and you keep your eyes on him, you can trust that, yes, he sees those needs. He's a good king. He's a loving king. And in his timing, in his will and way, he will meet those needs. So here we go on in this encounter that starting in verse 6, that Samuel starts looking for the next king. And this is what happens, verse 6. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab, the oldest brother, and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at, the, at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him, for the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Wow. And so Samuel, he went to the next oldest brother. And he was ready. He was ready. Okay, is this one? Am I going to anoint him? No. He went to the next one. Is, it, is this going to be the one I'm going to set aside and bless? It? No. And he went on down through all seven brothers. Now, Samuel just went through this experience with Saul. Saul was known as the tallest among the Jewish people. He had big soldiers. He had a big square jaw. He looked, he was the stud of his community. He looked like a king. And, and he and, and the people, they said, yes, surely this is the next king. Well, Samuel is still kind of going in these same principles, even Samuel. And it's, I think, it's just a tendency that we as humans do because we see differently than God sees. We do see in the physical. I'm seeing your physical. But God sees everything about you. He sees. And so here we are. It's just a human tendency. And 
For man looks at the outer, but the Lord looks at the heart, the insides. You know, that phrase, you don't judge a book by its cover. And younger people are going, what, what's, what's, what, what's the big deal about the cover of a book? Why, why do you even say that? And, you know, really, in today's world, you don't put a lot of, of attention to book covers anymore. But what you do put a lot of attention is is trailers of movies. Don't judge a movie by its trailer. And they always make the trailers awesome, exciting with the man's voice building up the anticipation as he and then... And they have the dramatic music playing, and they just show the few clips. And you're going, this is going to be a great movie. And then you watch it, and everything that was good was in the minute and a half of the trailer. And so it's like, oh. Or let's say some of the funny movies, and you watch this trailer, you're laughing all during this trailer. And same thing, it's like, well, that was all was funny. You, they showed you all the best parts. And it was a big letdown. Delisa will say, I don't want to watch a trailer. I don't want to watch a trailer. Because she didn't want to see the best parts of the trailer. I always go to reviews. I, my to-go is Rotten Tomatoes. Have you guys seen that one? They have a website. They have it on the apps under the movie apps. You know, they have a Rotten Tomato score. If it's 60% uh, uh, viewers reviewed it, uh, you know, as a, as a 60% or lower uh, reviewed it as as a um, a good movie only. Then they put a rotten smashed potato, a tomato, and it says rotten tomatoes, a rotten movie. But if above sixty percent, then they're like, yeah, this is this. The, the people are saying it's a good movie, and I f- I feel like it's it's pretty accurate. And so when we are making decisions, which we do every day, we are making judgments. We are deciding what's right, what's wrong. We're deciding how much information. I need some more information so I can make a decision here. You are using uh, your judgment, discerning right from wrong and good from evil and what's best. And and so I want to say it this way. Let's make decisions. uh, 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 Second lesson number two, don't make decisions by outward appearances only. Be wiser than that. Be keener than that. God has made us smarter than that. Realize that we need to look and think deeper than just outward appearances when we make decisions. And hopefully we can get more information just just the outward. All right. Now, after Samuel is ready to anoint seven young men and he doesn't get to, he's, he's baffled. He's confused. He's like, well, hold it. Uh, surely I heard God clear, clearly. I was supposed to come here. I'm supposed to. And he, he feels like something is, is wrong. Something's not right. And he, so he asks Jesse, the father, this question in verse 11. Samuel said to Jesse, are all the young men here? Then he said, there remains yet the youngest, and there he is keeping the sheep. Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we'll not sit down till he comes here. So I was... In the area of Bethlehem, just last month, our team was, and, and much of Israel's like this. It's just very hilly. And you get on any kind of hillside, and then there's valleys around you, and then the next hill, you can see pretty far. But 
I, again, kind of read over this verse for many years. But it says, uh, the father says, oh, well, yeah, yeah, I've got another youngest. Yeah. In fact, um, there he is keeping the sheep. I mean, you could see David from where they were gathered. So was this like a big backyard and he's in the backyard with the sheep? And he's Is this in the back field, the back dindy, you know, and it's like he's way out there. He's a little speck or something. Well, you know, David. He is not tending the sheep very well that day. He is rubbernecking it all day, going, what are they doing up there? What's happening? What's Samuel doing with my brothers? And he's rubbernecking it. And then they send some servant down there to go grab him. And he rushes up to the meeting gathering place. And he's all dirty, nasty, and smelly. Did I don't think he went and took a bath and got in his best clothes because Samuel said, I'm not sitting down until I get... And so everybody's standing up, right? Because he's the, he's the prophet. Everybody's got to stand if he's standing. And so David is rushing up into this gathering. And we've got to feel what he's feeling. We've got to realize where David was here. He is the black sheep of the family. He is being totally left out. How many times did this happen to David? When his brothers and even his parents just left him out, he wasn't important. If you feel like you understand or experience rejection in your family, you and David are alike. If you feel alone and that no one cares and no one sees you, you and David are alike. David was lost in this big family. And he was treated as the least important. Surely they could have found somebody else, paid someone else to get out there and watch the sheep for a few hours. This was really just pushing him out there in in the the convenience of the moment. And so he really is the runt of the litter. And what I want to say to you that his earthly father saw David as the rejected one, but his heavenly father saw David the anointed one, the next king. So instead of being the runt of the litter, the heavenly father sees him as the pick of the litter. And so if you feel that in a group or in a setting or a place, I'm just the runt of the litter. I'm the, la- the least. I am the least important. Let me tell you, God sees differently than man sees. And he's looking at you and he's saying, no, you are the pick of the litter. You're the most unlikely one to the rest, the way the rest are making their judgment calls and their decisions. But I'm going to tell you, you are the pick of the litter. See, God sees you. And he sees all of you, your past, that doesn't bother him. Your present, that doesn't discourage him. And he sees your future. He sees your hopes, your desires, and dreams. He put those dreams and desires there, those ones that draw you into uh, uh, 
kingdom life and those that lead you toward him, he's put those desires and dreams there. He's going to enable you to live out those desires. He sees your inner being, not just your outward appearance, your soul, mind, your will, your emotions, your heart. And so the third lesson here is God does not see as man sees. And I want to make a little clarifying statement on this uh, here in a moment. But God does not see as man sees. Let's go to verse 12 and 13. So he sent and brought David in. Now he was ruddy. This is verse 12 with bright eyes and good looking. And the Lord said, arise and on him for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of the brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose and went to Ramah. So this is the moment that Samuel's been waiting for. He anoints this David. And so what I want to clarify is, it's not just that God does not see as man sees. So how does he see? He sees your purpose. He sees your purpose, and that's what I want you to remember today, even though I know the Holy Spirit is making different applications for each per- person in here. That he sees your purpose, that your future has purpose in it, that he sees your past, he sees your present, and your future, and your future has his purpose on it. These, that you're, you're, this is not about you and just being happy. This is about you fulfilling a purpose in the kingdom of God. See, you are, you were created for him. David was created for him to be a king for him. You are recreated for him. And your dreams that you get excited about, about your future, that's good. But it's not just, it's not for you folks. It is for him, your creator, your king, you're serving in the kingdom. Let me tell you a little bit about what happens next in this story. Uh, I'm not going to read the rest of these verses here. I just want to refer to them. And then in two weeks, I'll be reading 1 Samuel chapter 17. Yes, the awesome story of David and Goliath. It's not just a kid's story. It's, It's a powerful many life lessons in that chapter. So he went from pasture being just left and forgotten out in the field to what happens next in his life. He, he doesn't become king at that time. That's 15 or 18 or so years later. He's, uh, he's the youngest of this family. He's a teenager, maybe a middle schooler or a 15-year-old is a good uh, uh, kind of estimate there. Educated estimate would be around 15 years old. And he, he doesn't become king, crowned as king with the people behind him until he's 30 years old. But soon in the uh, palace's uh, chambers, King Saul is stressed out by a spirit distressing him. He is having mental and emotional issues. And, and one of his attendants says, listen, I've heard of a young man that is uh, skilled in battle. He's brave. He's prudent in speech but he skillful in the harp and the and God is with him listen folks you this is the day of pentecost you have the spirit of god in you this 
Spirit of God came on David at that young age of 15 and stayed with him. And so now when he was playing and practicing and singing those songs by himself out in the field of worship, now they're extra anointed. They have this extra power and effect on people. Why? Because the Spirit of God is with him. And, and people are hearing about it in this little town of Bethlehem. Something's different about that little boy, David. What really happened that day when he was anointed? And he, the word even got back to attendant in the palace and said, let's call him and see what will happen if we, he brings his guitar in, into the palace room here. And, and probably behind a screen or something in the corner, he just worshiped God and the presence of God would come into that room. And that evil, distressing spirit would, would leave and he would, and Saul would in those moments have peace again. So this spirit of God on us, folks, opens doors to the next place. And there he was, a shepherd boy in a field, and now he's finding himself being invited to come to the palace to play his instrument in that throne room. He's learning about authority and etiquette of protocol of honoring leaders. He's learning about royalty. He's learning about leadership. He's around the greatest leaders of the nation. And he's just a guitar player that has this special presence about him when he sings and worships God. That's all they think. They don't know that he's destined to be the next king. Let me tell you, folks. When God sees you, he sees purpose in your future. Your future is not just to to just wait to get through the day. It's not just to survive. You have purpose in where God has you, where he's leading you, and where he's taking you. I'm going to ask Rhonda McCard to come up here. I'm going to grab another mic. She has shared with me a couple of times, once in the home vision group, the all-in home vision group uh, down at the Southerns' house, she shared a story about how this vision for us to step into relational discipleship had really impacted her. And one of the questions we ask uh, in the, the discussion time is we say, hey, tell us a, a time where you had a mentor or big brother, big sister, or spiritual mother, or spiritual father in your life, or someone that... And, and to be honest, we didn't get a lot of stories like that. I think that's something that we've, we've been, many of us, missed and longed for. Um, and, and, and the Apostle Paul is saying, I warn you, you have many instructors and teachers, but you have few spiritual fathers and mothers. And so it's a warning from Paul, don't, don't let this go on in the body of Christ. And she ends up telling this story, and I wanted her to share it today. Thanks, Ryan. Well, first of all, I want to tell you all, and some of y'all probably know this, that I was not brought up in church with my family. My family didn't go to church. But in 1975, I got drew by the Holy Spirit to go to church, and I got saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. Mm. I was at that church for three years, and I got hurt very deeply by somebody I really admired. And I had a hard time getting over it. Every time I would see this person and go to church, I felt such a fear come over me 
and I didn't know how to get past it, and I had nobody to help me. Mm-hmm. And so I went to some of the upper people in the church, and I said, you know, the Bible says if you love God, you will not feel fear. And they said, yeah, that's right. And that's all they said. So I said, I walked away, and I said, Lord, if I feel fear, I don't love you. Mm. So I may as well not even go anymore. Mm. I walked away that day, and I stayed away from God for 31 years Mm. because I had nobody to mentor me. Mm. So years went by, and in 2009, me and Gary was living in Charleston, and the Spirit of God drew me to Seacoast. Mm-hmm. Seacoast Church, Seacoast which Church. We, vi- we went to a conference there a couple years ago. Yes. And uh, I learned to hear the voice of God mm-hmm. in that church. And I heard in His presence one day, discipleship. Well, I knew what that meant because I'd always, when I came back to God, I said, Lord, I don't want anybody to ever go through what I went through and have nobody to walk them through the hurt that Mm -hmm. I went through. Yeah. So that stayed with me, and I really didn't know what it meant, but I knew I was supposed to do something with that discipleship. Mm -hmm. So when me and Gary moved to here... (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah, I knew I had a purpose here. Mm. But then when I think Gary passed away, I said, "Lord, what am I doing here? I don't. I feel like I have no purpose right now. I, mm. All my family live in Charleston. What am I doing here?" I cried. I said, "What am I doing here?" And then a week later, I found out this discipleship program, and something leaped in me, and I knew. This was my time to shine. Yes. This was yes. my calling. And yes. God had me here for such a time as this. Yes. I knew it. I knew it. Uh, and I I went to Pastor Stephen. And I said, I know what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. I'm all in. Yes. I'm all in because yes. I want to help people walk through hurts. Yes. You know, not just hurts that they have felt in church, but hurts through their life, rejection, all of that. Mm-hmm. So I'm all in, Pastor Stephen. Mm, I love it. Thank and you. you know, at one time I felt like that 31 years had passed, I'd missed my calling. But I don't care if you're 50, 60, 70, mm-hmm. 80, That's 90. Right. God is not finished with you yet if you're That's still right. breathing. Yeah. <laughs> right that's right that's right that's good and god also says in his word that he never revokes his calling Mm. so no matter how long you've walked away your calling is still there that's right your calling is still there that's good so take it take this run with it Mm. You know, right now, a lot of us are in this season that we're walking by faith and not by sight. God is not finished with you yet. He says, even though we walk by faith and not by sight, we might not see what's in front of us, but God does. 
and he's going to walk us through it. It might look bad, but you know what? God is a good God. And he's not finished. He's not finished with us. Wow. Rhonda, let's let, let's stay up here. We're going to we're going to pray together in just a moment here. Making disciples. Jesus said it in the Great Commission, go make disciples. So recreating 30 years ago, 31 years ago, someone notices that she's being bothered. Someone, the pastor who talked to her, noticed, you know, we need to follow up with her. Someone noticed that she didn't come back for the second, third Sunday. Go call her, go to her house. It's a one-on-one thing. You go, you leave the chair you're in and you cross the aisle you go over there two sections you go to there you go and text them you call you go and it would have been just one person going to you and listening to you to find out what's what's going on and then get in the word and prayer and just walk you through it it, it could have been that simple folks could have been that simple Pray for us. Pray about fear and anything else on your heart to pray for us. Heavenly Father, just people maybe here today they feel fear. But God says, You say, Lord, in your word, did I love you? You might feel fear, but that fear does not say who you are. I love you regardless of what you feel right now. Because my love for you is not made on your feelings. That's good. Father, help us in this season that we're in to be disciples, to disciple people that are going through problems, and help us to be those people that will help them walk the walk. Bring them in, Lord, and let us help them. And help the ones that are here today commit themselves Yes, I'm all in, Lord. I'm all in today. Because it's not about us, it's about Him. And Lord, we, we thank You. I thank You for Living Waters Church. Because if it wasn't for this church, I wouldn't be here right now. 
Thank you for never turning your back on me for those 31 years that I've walked away from you. You never left me. Yes. Even all my sin and shame, Lord, you never left me. Thank you, Father. And touch ones here today that might be feeling shame or guilt or anything that might be going through right now. Touch them, Lord. And let them know how much you love them. Love never fails. You're merciful. You're good. You're everlasting Father. Yes, yes, yes. You're wonderful, mighty Counselor, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Yes, Lord. The yes, Lord. Peace. Yes, Lord. That's who you are. Thank Hallelujah. You, we love you. We love you, Lord. We honor you. We love you and thank you because you are a good, good Father. In Jesus' name, we pray. Her story, I feel like this is important right now, just hearing it again, I, is that there may be callings and purposes that God's going to bring back to your mind from a year ago, from 10 years ago, 30 years ago. And it's really that next step of obedience that God is still wanting you to take to move on. So, Lord, right now we... We keep our ears open to you right now. That you are still calling us. You still have purpose for us. You have destiny. Our future is good. And when you look into our future, you see us with purpose. to pray a prayer of salvation I don't know who's watching online this morning or later this week or where you're at in here but if you're saying I I need to come back to the Lord you might be saying I I need I want to start a relationship with Jesus Christ then this simple prayer if you mean it in your heart open that door and start it to get today I'm going to ask everyone to say this prayer loud to me with me Dear Lord Jesus, I don't want to be far from you any longer. I turn away from my sins. And I turn to you. Forgive me by your sacrifice. Cleanse me by the blood shed on the cross. I believe that you rose from the grave to defeat that sin and that judgment over my life. I am your child now. I am yours now. And I want to fulfill my purpose the calling you have given me. If you prayed that prayer, you need to tell someone today. You need to tell one of us or a friend. And we want to be that help to you and growing in your discipleship with Jesus. We have people here on either side that you can talk to. These 
people are available for prayer for anything going on in your life this week. If it's a, a need at work or at home or financially or relationally, we want to lift that up with you. And online, we have a phone line available for the next 30 minutes here on Sunday morning for you to call and, and receive prayer that way. Let's, before we leave, let's just sing to the Lord. Lord Jesus, you are worthy to be praised. And we thank you that you give us purpose, a reason to live. Our future is good with you.